0: Today's episode was sponsored by Get This Work.
1: This the queen, sisters manifesting their dreams. Get your cream by any means and being with self esteem. Supreme and Buddha walk so mean. The way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka, Redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Retwist your locks and realign your chakras. Doing your squats and getting closer to God, huh? Brunching with your squad or taking a girl's trip. Adjust your crown, you guys give to the world, sis. Celestial body, drink your water. Meditate, sun kiss, goddess, heavenly water. Levitate, tribe of Ashanti. Black girl magic, melanin popping, whether you ratchet or lavish. Whether you you push your savage you a gift and a treasure you got to love a black girl getting a shift together black girls are getting a shift together these black girls getting a shift together man these black girls are getting a shift together these black girls getting a shift together dog
0: hello everyone this is ursula with black girls getting their shift together my name is ursula and i'm a healthcare a mental wellness healthcare advocate, everything self-care. So if you hear my voice right now, please like, comment, share during this live. And if you're listening to this on a replay, type replay in the comments. So I'm just going to do a little bit of uh, cleaning up right now, just to let you all know, today we have a very special guest and Later on this evening, tune in at 7 p.m., I also have another guest, and I'm also going to introduce Billy, but you all will hear about that later on. So I just really want to thank everybody who's been tuning in and supporting me. I'm coming to a close of season one, and it has been a wonderful ride. So, oh, and also a special shout out to my 413 family as well. You all have been shown a lot of support. So right now, I'm going to bring on my handsome guest. Hello, Bobby Howard. <laughs>
2: Hello. How are you today?
0: I'm well. How are you,
2: sir? I am wonderful. Today is a beautiful day.
0: Isn't it? What, what? Give me one reason why it's beautiful today. I like to stay positive.
2: Well, it's beautiful today because we woke up this morning. I love it. It is outside. You're alive. Beautiful day.
0: That's right. That's right. So, I want to introduce Bobby to everyone. I'm just going to read his bio. This is a, a very packed bio, very impressive. But Bobby's been suffering with severe kidney disease, and he also received a kidney transplant. He also dedicated his life to helping others who face life-threatening health challenges. He is also the director of LifeLink of Georgia's Multicultural Donation Education Program, and he continues to lead collaborative efforts with local national coalitions and community partners to spread the important message of organ donation. Also, he served on the boards of Donate Life America, NFLPA Former Players Board. Okay, I didn't know this part. Board of Directors and Metro Atlanta Concerned Black Clergy. He is president of the Atlanta Chapter NFL Former Players Association and chair of the National Multicultural Action Group. Bobby has faithfully served in the following capacities. President of the Association for Multicultural Affairs and Transplantation, President of the Georgia Transplant Foundation, a board of the United Network of Organ Sharing, and board member of the 100 Black Men of DeKalb County. That was a mouthful. So, (laughs) you are the perfect person to talk about donating life. (laughs) So, let me preface this firmly with anyone who's listening i understand how some of us brothers and sisters how we feel about donating organs and or receiving organs i have been that person as well however i'll go into that in the show later on but donation of life of organs has hit me personally not me physically but a very close member of my family So it has turned my thoughts on the whole idea of transplant and organ donation. So if you don't agree with it, I respect that. But if you do agree with it, have an open mind. And even if you don't agree, you'll learn some pretty good information today. That's all I had to say with that. So going (laughs) forward, (laughs) I mean, you know, we won't get into that, but you know what I'm talking about. So I'm sure Uh you hear that a lot. So, Mm -hmm. Bobby, where are you from? I want the people Uh to know who you are a little bit before we get
2: started. I am from the great city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, home of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Pittsburgh Pirates.
0: Uh-huh. I'm an and Eagles I'm an Eagles fan.
2: Just... Oh, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: you see my colors. I wore uh-huh. that just for you.
2: <laughs> you should not have, because you got lost yesterday. To yeah, the Giants.
0: To... Yeah, we won't talk about that. Okay. <laughs> so, speaking of football...
2: Why don't you tell everybody about just briefly about your NFL career? Cool. Um, my NFL career, um, as I stated, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I attended Indiana, Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana on a football scholarship. I was drafted, you will like this, by the Philadelphia Eagles in the 1986 draft. Um, Unfortunately for me, they didn't want my talent, so they shipped me off to Tampa Bay. And I played um, running back for Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and, which was great. Um, you know, I only played three years in the NFL, um, but it was the, you know, really good three years and something that I experienced that I would never, thought I would never experience a day in my life. You know, when you're a little kid and you're watching TV and you're seeing all these great football players and they're so big and everything say, wow, that'd be great if I can just get in the locker room and get autographs. But I was able to do more than that and be able to take part and play. Um, it was great. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Unfortunately, some injuries to my knees, um. Uh, prevented me from playing more than three years. But, you know, it was a blessing. And and sometimes I believe what life, you know, there are things that we want to do. And there's things that we were placed on this earth to do.
0: Yes. I, ooh, that's deep. That's some good stuff. Wait, you know what? How was it your first game that you played in the NFL? Like, what was the feeling and the emotions?
2: Well, well, I think the the feeling and emotion, because I played in college, and and I'll tell you this, I'm going to flip back to the college. That was the real emotion part for me, you know, as a freshman. Why was that? Well, we were playing at the University of Michigan, and we played in what they call uh, the big house, and they had over 100,000 people in the football game. I had never seen that many people a day of my life in one facility. So when I got in the game, I was 18, and I got the ball. I just dropped it. I mean, I just dropped it. Um, don't know why, but I just dropped the ball. And um, I remember, um, you know, and for those of you college football, you know, ESPN, Lee Corso, who's on ESPN, that was my coach. And he pulled me to the side. He said, listen, calm down. He said, you're playing football with a lot of 22, 23-year-old guys. He said, you're only 18. He said, just relax. He said, I know you can do it. And um, after that, it was, you know, all my fears and butterflies. We're gone, and so that was the big point of playing in that kind of atmosphere, and you know, realize, in college, you play in front of more fans than you do in the NFL, because the stadiums are a lot bigger in college.
0: I didn't know that.
2: Yes. Huh. You know, college that hold over 100,000 people. And on average, the NFL may be like 65, 66 somewhere in that range.
0: You know what, you're right, because at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, it's 72.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, you're right. Interesting. So how did that first hit feel?
2: It was all right. I mean, I wouldn't. that wasn't my fear. It was just being in front of so many people, the first hit. I mean, it's football. I got hit in practice, and, um, you know, it was a hit. I got my tail up and went to the next play.
0: Oh, wow. So
2: you just, you were built for it. Well, I think, you know, you train for it and you practice for it. And, you know, and, you know, I started playing football when I was eight years old. And, you know, I had older brothers, you know, I'm the youngest of 11. And (gasps) eight boys in that group. Now, there's a big age gap, you know, between me and, you know, I'm 56. My oldest sibling is 83. So there's a big age gap in between. And then me compared to my next sibling was a seven-year difference. So getting in that, you know, and understanding. So being the one always beat up and wrestling and tossed. So when it was time for me to play with kids my own age, it was sort of like no challenge because I was used to playing with bigger kids.
0: Wow. Wow.
2: You know, and playing all those years and playing with rough and tumble and football with no equipment and getting hit by my brother. You know, he's 16 and I'm seven or eight and he's hitting me. It's like, OK, you know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you truly were built for it <laughs> eight years old. Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So
0: let's fast forward past the NFL. So you said you had some knee injuries and in that.
2: Easter's career? Yes, it did. Um, you know, I had some knee injury. And I had this thing that, and I probably could have played more, but I had this thing that if it was going to be some surgery that was major, then, you know, I lived out a dream that a lot of young men and young boys would like to get to. I just didn't want to go through no major surgery um, to do that. I figured I had the rest of my life, and, you know, I did. If I would just played one game, I would have been happy you know, but, you know, I played more than that. So I was so grateful. um, And I just didn't want to have any more surgeries. And so I called it quits.
0: Would you consider your NFL career a passion of yours?
2: I don't want to say it was a passion. It was a goal. um, um, That I wanted to do something that nobody in my neighborhood or kids that I grew up with, nobody had ever achieved that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like I said, if I were have just played one game or just went to one practice and say I did it, that was en- would have been enough for me.
0: Wow, that's impressive. That's very impressive. How old were you when you decided to retire?
2: I was twenty five.
0: Oh, you 20- were young.
2: Twenty six. Yes. Well, you know, the average NFL career, it's not very long. It's only like three point two years. The average NFL career lasts. So you know, you may see some guys who have the long tenure, but when you average all that together, it's only like 3.2 years.
0: But it seemed like uh, the the life of a running back would be shorter because there's more hits, correct? Or correct. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Wonder, and you know, it's it's a it's a it's almost like you know, football, you gotta look at it as a revolving door due to injuries and contracts and all those things, it's a revolving door. So You may have, you know, that's why if you, you know, if you really pay attention like I do on roster, you may have a roster. Let's say today you got your 53 guys. Next year, you out of that 53, there may be 20 to 30 that are new. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the turnover, you know, you get some injuries and guys can't play anymore. Some guys say, you know, I don't want to do it anymore. You know, your bills, you know, erode. Your contract gets too high. And they may say, okay, if I'm paying you million dollars but i got somebody i can pay four hundred thousand. they can do the same thing i'm gonna let that million dollar guy go and keep this guy 400 so there's a lot of things that play into play into an nfl career a
0: lot of politics i see yes wow okay if i was a man and built for it, I would have loved to have been an NFL player. <laughs> I'm serious. I would have loved to have been a tight <laughs> end or a running back. For real. <laughs> I'm serious. Anybody who knows me knows I love football. Okay. I, I wouldn't even want to meet up with Sharon or the rest of the girls <laughs> on a Sunday because, I <laughs> no, I need to be home watching it.
1: Okay. So Okay.
0: Let's get into the meat of why I really invited you. And also, let me just preface this again to let everybody know, self-care is also about giving to the community. So giving and receiving. So this gentleman right here is the perfect person because you've lived both the giving and the receiving. Mm -hmm. So I read in your bio that you have Kidney disease. Mm-hmm. Do
2: you mind explaining what kind of kidney disease you had? Sure. Um, I had what they call end-stage renal disease. Um, basically, that's just uh, um, the the end result of kidney failure, in a sense. And so I didn't have, per se, a particular kind of disease. It's just called end-stage renal disease, and which can be caused by um, diabetes, hypertension, and sometimes we are just born with some genetic factors that are going to cause our kidneys to, to fail. And in my case, even though nobody gave me a specific di- diagnosis, I'm going to say mine was hereditary. And the reason why I'm going to say it's hereditary, which I can't confirm, but I'm probably pretty sure. My mother had a kidney transplant back in 1977. What? And I only lived a year after, and she passed away in 78. So I was a little guy when my mother passed away. Um, I, I have a kidney transplant. I have a niece who has a kidney transplant. I have a nephew who has a kidney transplant. I have a niece who passed away, waiting on the kidney. I have another niece who's on dialysis, waiting for a kidney. And I have another nephew who's on dialysis, waiting for a kidney transplant. So I think there's some hereditary things going on there.
0: What was the average age of your your family members? Not your mom, but your nieces and everything.
2: they're all young. Um, they're all younger than me. Um when my kidneys failed, I was 29 when my kidneys failed.
0: How did you know that they failed?
2: Well, I didn't know, and what happened to me? Um, I was actually living in Tampa, Florida, and I had a brother relocate here to Georgia from New York. And, um, you know, him being in New York, he didn't know how to drive. He didn't know how to do a lot. He was a city guy. Um, and I made this pact. I said, wow, this gave me a great opportunity um, to go around and visit my brothers and sisters that I didn't grow up with. As I told you earlier, my oldest sibling um, is 83 years old. So in between there, I had some brothers and sisters who have children who are older than me. And they didn't grow up with me. So I wanted to take time. I said, I'm going to take a year away. I'm going to go visit. And my first stop was here to Georgia. I came to Georgia on August 11th, 1993. And on August 13th, 1993, I woke up in my brother's house. I had a headache that was just pounding. Um, And I couldn't get rid of it. And luckily, my brother, his neighbor was a nurse. And she came and took my blood pressure and my blood pressure was extremely high. And well, what that, was it? Do you remember? It was, I think about 278 over 160. And that's how I was diagnosed with kidney failure.
0: I'm surprised you didn't stroke out right then and there. Damn.
2: Yeah, and you- that was, you know, when, uh, when I was um, got everything really tested and they was like, wow, you're very lucky and extreme that most people with the blood pressure that high they stroke out. So, you know, and they say it was due because, you know, I probably didn't, I was in good shape and all those kind of things. So I was truly blessed that it was cotton bag those, um, then. And so that's how I found out. But, you know, the very interesting thing is when I went to see the nephrologist and they were telling me the symptoms of what they were, I had all those symptoms. I just didn't know.
0: What were the symptoms other
2: than the headache? Um, I had night sweats. I had trouble sleeping at night. You know, like I would wake up sometimes and the bed was just soaked. That, you know, I was losing my appetite. You know, there was things that, that I used to love to eat. I just wasn't hungry with it. Um, food started having a, this kind of foul odor, a different kind of odor. Um, and those were, you know, symptoms in, um, the, of kidney failure. And the biggest one was when I urinated, I had a lot of foam. And, you know, when I urinated, which was a sign that my body was spilling too much protein. There's too much protein coming out of my system.
0: I thought protein was good
2: for the system. Too much coming out. I was getting rid of too much. Oh. You know, you're supposed to keep some things in. So it wasn't filtering. It was just letting my kidneys, your kidneys are a filtering system within your body. So it wasn't, it wasn't filtering in the right way. So that's, you know, those are some of the things. Then I, my my joints, like, you know, I, and one of the things that was really dominant to me that I didn't check catch was I was playing softball and I remember I got hit in the knee with the ball and um, my legs, were, you know, it was swollen, but it kind of moved to my ankle and I didn't pay it any attention because, you know, playing football, you know, you'd have things swell up, but that was one of the sy- symptoms. I had swelling in my ankle. And I thought it was due to the softball hitting my ankle. And it was actually due because I was in kidney failure.
0: Oh my God. Really? How did that, I mean, when I say, how did it make you feel like mentally when they told you this is what you have?
2: Well, of course, of course, I was I was shocked. You know, I was um, devastated, but I wasn't alarmed because I knew what my mother went through. I didn't remember everything that my mother went through, but I knew she was on Dallas. I knew she had a transplant. But I think the the sad part is that I asked them for a transplant the next day because I knew that part. Mm -hmm. And they explained everything to me about dialysis and and those kind of things. That's where it really took some toll on my mental psyche. It's like, wow, here I am. One of the best, you know, at one point in time, one of the best athletes in the world at what I did. And now I am going to be strapped to this dialysis machines four days a week for four and a half hours each treatment. How did that happen? And what I've done differently and, and you know, so I went through that period, probably about the first month of being diagnosed. And once again, I didn't start dialysis right away. I took some medications and and different things. So I was diagnosed in August, but I didn't start dialysis until January. Mm-hmm.
1: Really?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was able to hold out. I was trying to hold out as long as I could, you know, and hoping I can get a transplant, you know, before then. And once again, I had to start dialysis and, and for those of you, you know, who are listening, dialysis is a treatment where all those things kind of where I kind of mentioned before, as your kidney is being like the filtering system, that it helps uh, it keeps what it needs to keep. And it gets rid of those other products through your urine. And when we use the restroom and when your body, when your kidney is not doing that, there has to be a way to get those toxins and bad things out of your body. So you do dialysis, I did what they called hemodialysis, where um, it's a machine that I went into the clinic three days a week for four and a half hours, each time I was my treatment, and they I had a, um, a fistula in my arm, and where they stuck a needle in, and it was a big needle, it wasn't a small needle, it was a, a nice-sized needle, and it drew the blood out, it went through what they call, what well, I call it an artificial kidney, and it filtered all bad stuff out, and it returned the blood back to your body, And now, if you can imagine, I stopped using the restroom totally. Mm. And so that was how I used the restroom. So being on dialysis, there were some restrictions that I had, restrictions on my food intake. Um, Some people call it a kidney diet. It wasn't no darn diet. I just was restricted (laughs) on what I could eat. And, you know, for example, I can only drink 32 ounces of liquid a day. Even now? No, that was when I was on dialysis. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah.
2: 32 ounces of liquid a day. Um, my protein, I could only have eight ounces of protein in a day. If I had any liquid, it had to be a clear liquid. You know, I had to had um, no, no salt, you know, very low sugar. Um, you know, I had to weigh everything that I ate. And it, I went from 235 pounds um, the day I was sick and the day I got my transplant, I was 167.
0: Oh, my God. (sighs) Dialysis, from what I've witnessed with a close family member, it's rough.
2: You know, I I wish that treatment on anyone, but it's the best thing because it gives us a chance. It's not like, uh, you know, if you need a heart transplant or liver transplant, if they go, you're gone. But at least when your kidneys go, you have something that gives you a fighting chance to continue life. And, you know, I I tell a lot of folks when I'm inquired or they inquire to me about them being on dialysis or a family member, dialysis is not a death sentence. I believe it's mind over matter. If you believe that you're sick, you're going to be sick. But if you believe that you're going to be healthy, you're going to be healthy. So you go through it and you deal with it, but you have to live your life and take it one day at a time. And as you take life one day at a time, dialysis or your diagnosis shouldn't prevent you from living. And that's what it's true all about is that we have to live. And that's what I had to do. I had to put things into perspective uh, that I wanted to live and I wanted to fight. And, you know, for me, you know, I'm a religious kind of guy. I love gospel music. You know, gospel music is, is my go-to. I'm listening to gospel music. Folks get in my car, they're going to hear gospel music because that's what I play. And, you know, one of the things that kept me going was gospel music. And I remember one of the technicians I had one day, she said, Mr. Howard, she said, you know, I sit, sit and watch you. And she said, um, You mind your own business. She said, you're always trying to encourage everybody else. You know, she said, what do you ever do for yourself? And I told her, I said, you know, life isn't about me. You know, it's about what we can do for our fellow man and how we can assist our fellow man. I mean, I am truly blessed. I've been truly blessed to achieve and go through a lot of things that I've been through, but it's very important that I give back. And so when I was on dialysis. I just wanted everybody else to do better. and She told me, she said, you know what? Because of the way you are, you're going to get your transplant. How about the next week I got my phone call?
0: Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So, well, let me tell you my experience from it. So, someone who I used to date a long, long, long time ago, he actually had, he also had a kidney transplant. So talk about being ready when it's time, when it's showtime. He was on dialysis for about six months. And then uh, he was on the list. So then he got a phone call. And that's when they said, look, we have a kidney for you. And he, of course, said yes. But they had explained in their conversation He said, well, why me? And they said the first person they called repeatedly didn't answer the phone. So they moved on to the second person. That second person had pneumonia. So he was the third phone call that day. And he got his transplant. And it was from a 19-year-old in Puerto Rico that was in a tragic car accident. And he was um, a donor,
2: and that's how he got his kidney. Oh, wow. wow. So you they,
0: know, they call his kidney Jesus.
2: You know, that's very, because I was the fourth one called for my kidney.
0: So what's your story with your phone
2: call? Well, my, the first person that they called, he never responded. Um, the second person was on a cruise. Um, you know, back then they had what they call dialysis cruise. So if you were a dialysis patient, you can get on the cruise. Um, and he couldn't get back. Um, the third person, um, was a young lady, um, that I actually met when I, before I received my transplant that she was actually in the hospital, but she had some other medical conditions. And just, you know, I tell you when you're, when you're kind of blessed and in, and in good favor is that she told them, Hey, don't try to fix me. Give it to the next person. I don't want this kidney to go to waste. And I just she have.
0: did? Wow.
2: Yeah.
0: How old was she?
2: I, I don't remember how old she was now. Now I'm dating myself. This was 26 years ago. That's how long I've had my kidney is 26 years.
0: The same one? Yes. I thought. Okay. So excuse my ignorance. Will you. When you pass away, like will you still have that same kidney or do I was under impression that from that same guy that because he was not taking care of himself and his doctors told him, look, you're good for about 10 years. (laughs) So he wasn't taking that's probably why they told him that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to say it, but I would just add to that. One of the things, you know, for me, you know, being a professional athlete, I'm always concerned about being in good shape. Now, there were points in time in my life where, you know, I thought uh, there was other things that were going on that I was not in the best of shape. And what I mean by that is I was heavier than what I was. And I was, you know, some of the medication, you know, it causes you to gain weight and those kind of things. And so I kind of fed into that. And then I realized, I said, you know what, let me get back, you know, I wasn't comfortable that way. And so I got back into training. Um, I started training again, started working out, I changed my diet, uh, started eating things that I knew were going to be healthy for me. You know, as I shared with you last week, you know, right now, since the pandemic, I have lost um, 15 pounds, 16 pounds. Um, You know, I do yoga four days a week and and you know, when watching my diet and not eating past a certain time at night, and I feel wonderful. I mean my energy level is just through the roof.
0: Wow, that is amazing. So wait, let's go back to that phone call. so say you got the phone call, then what? How many days hours later after you
2: well it, it it was a it was a rather interesting phone call and and I'm gonna tell you how this thing hits full circle is my transplant coordinator. Um, you know, you get a transplant coordinator and a social worker, and my transplant coordinator called me, and I got my transplant at Piedmont Hospital. And when she called, I was coaching high school football at Southwest Cobb High School. And when she called, I was on my way out the door to go to football practice, and I was something said, "Nah, I let the phone ring." But then something told me, "Go answer the phone." So by the time I got to it, it stopped ringing. So my I was wearing a pager, so my pager goes off. And I looked down, I was getting ready to pick up the phone, and my phone rings again. And when I pick up the phone, it was a young lady, and she told me, Mr. Howard, she said, I have good news and I have bad news. And she said, what do you want first? I said, give me the bad news. She said, well, um, you, know, you know, we tested your brother. And, you know, at the time, my brother was incarcerated. And, you know, he was in Pennsylvania, and he was tested. And she said, unfortunately, he's not a match for you. And she said, but the good news is we found a kidney for you. I said, you got to be out of your mind. You know? <laughs> and she said, we found a kidney for you. Now, I was so, you know, so happy. But I was thinking, oh, man, I got to go to football practice. So in my mind, I'm saying, okay, I got to make these phone calls, call the head coach, tell them I won't be there. And so, but then they said, well, okay, make sure you get somebody to drive you and all this stuff. And, you know, and I'd already had a bag in my trunk, uh, you know, just in case.
0: So they
2: tell
0: uh, you to stay ready like that to have a bag, yes. right? Really?
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow! And, uh, so I called a friend of mine and and she came and picked me up and took me to Piedmont Market, you know. At the time where I was living at in Atlanta, I was probably 15 20 minutes from Piedmont Hospital. It probably took about 5 hours to get there. It just I was just rushing you know. i was so excited but it was the longest 15 minute ride ever and once again so being so excited i forgot everything the lady told me what what i needed to do when i got to the hospital so i didn't know what to say so i just walked up and said hey i'm bobby howard i'm here to get my transplant where do i go <laughs> he looked at me and said sir that you you got to go you know they came out but i forgot exactly what she told, told me to do i was just so excited and you know it was it was it was a Tuesday afternoon. I got the call about two o'clock. I was at the hospital about four, about four thirty. They were prepping me. They were you know, you know, shaving. I had to take a shower. All these things. They were putting all these IVs in. And you know, by eight o'clock that night, I remember I uh, you know they I woke up. I was in the recovery. And the first thing I asked. Did I go to the bathroom yet? And they held up that little bag, and you see all my urine. I was like,
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <You know. laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Wow. What was the recovery like?
2: Well, for me, it was a little different. You remember now, a former athlete. So my recovery, you know, back then they said, Oh, you're going to be here for about a week. I was home in three days, you know, because I was used to. You know, in football, when you have these injuries and different things and have surgeries, they get you up and get your body back moving. So that's what I was used to. I'm like, okay, when can I go walking? Mr. Howard, you can't go walking yet. I'm like, look, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we can. Because that's the only thing I knew is that, you know, don't lay in bed. Let's start moving your limbs and all those kind of things. And so I was up and walking on that Wednesday, and, and you know, I was doing things they told me I shouldn't do, but I was doing them anyway because I was kind of um, young and – Wanted to get back to doing some other things. Um, so, Such, um, a I- Such a guy.
0: Such a guy.
2: I was in for three days. Had my transplant on Tuesday. I was home on that Friday.
0: Wow. Ooh. Your mind was already set before you knew you had the kidney disease. You
2: know, wow. you know, I've, al- I've always been a forward thinker. And in that forward thinking um, is that always try to look out and once again, you know, this whole process has taught me a great deal about life. Life isn't truly about me. It's about what we do and the people that we impact while we are here. You know, um, I truly believe if I'm doing the right thing, people will be placed in my life to assist and help me. Um, um, to do, to do, but it's not about me. I mean, I will receive whatever God has for me or whatever there is for me, I will receive that. Mm-hmm. But if I don't give back and help those who are less fortunate
0: mm-hmm.
2: as I am, yeah. then am I truly here. And so all of that uh, process, you know, I had goals and plans. And even when I was on dialysis, you know, I had said a prayer one day, I said, you know, Lord, if you blessed me, with uh, knowing that someone loves me enough that when their life is over they will say yes so that I can have a kidney I will do everything in my power to make sure that I spread the word number one to let people know how important life is number two to let people know that we have to enjoy each and every day because we never know when it's going to come to an end and number three I wanted to educate people about how important organ donation and kidney failure was in our community and lo and behold, going through that whole process, I never thought in a million years, I didn't know what Lifelink of Georgia was. I was given the opportunity. I interviewed and I got the job and I have been at Lifelink. Um, February will make 26 years. I got hired. Three, really? I got my transplant. I got my transplant October 25th of 1994. And I started Lifelink of um, February of 95.
0: Wow. That is amazing. I want to definitely, this next segment is to go on and to talk about the um, what somebody can receive from a person. But before I say that, ask you that, ever since I started this podcast, I have shifted my mindset. And I do agree with you. If you work in your purpose, that God does set up people to be there to help serve you so that you can serve other people. That's just my thought process. Mm -hmm. And I look at myself and everybody else, other people look at themselves as a stone or a pebble. And I've said this before on my podcast, when you throw that stone in the, on the, in the pond and that ripple effect that it makes, and you can choose to be a positive effect or a negative ripple effect. And mm-hmm. Not that one is better than the other, but it really is.
2: Well, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, I think when you go through life and you, you talk about things that we've been through and challenges that we all we all have a testimony. Everyone has a testimony. Everyone has a story. But I think what's real important for me. You know, and and some of my friends tell me, say, Bobby, do you ever follow in anything that you do? I said, what do you mean? They say, you always have to lead. And I said, well, some of us are born to be leaders. And I said, I believe that I was born to be a leader. And I said, and that leading doesn't mean I know everything or do everything. But leading is about sometimes putting the right people together to define and finish the goal that you want. And when you can do that and be organized, then you have great success on whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. And that's, you know, one of the things that athletics taught me is that I can't do everything by myself. You know, as a football player, you have 11 guys on the field at one time. If one guy doesn't do his job, that play is not going to be successful. So everybody needs to be on the same page and flowing in the right direction for you to have success. That's the same thing it is about life you have to find people around you who give you positive energy that are in that spirit and moving in that positive direction along with you. And when you find that you will find a purpose uh, for what your life is supposed to be about. For me, I know what my purpose in life is, you know, and unfortunately I've, I've went through all of this to see what my purpose on life was, but that's a blessing. I, you know, I was used to be a blessing to others. And so going through this, do over there about the and being sick and learning all these things. I was used as a vessel, but now that I'm not that vessel anymore, now I'm on a ship that sails and, and, and getting all these tugboats and other folks to get on board. Follow me, let me lead you to, to happiness and let me lead you to a place where you can be happy in whatever goal or whatever adventure you want to get into. And so, when we talk about this whole donation and, you know, I'm often asked, well, why do you do that kind of job? You can go somewhere else and make so much money. To me, it's not about money. It's not about money. It's about providing, providing people with positive, a positive message on how do you give life. And and when you talk about giving life and donating life, I compare that to we're given a gift. You know, we're, we're given a gift to people that we will never have the opportunity to meet. You know, we always plan for these material gifts and material things, they fade away. But when you extend life and you give life to someone else, what an awesome gift, because that life that you give is not just for that person, it's for their family, it's for their co-workers, it's for people that they're gonna impact throughout their life. So I like to say, donation is the gift that keeps on giving.
0: Yes, I love everything you're saying. Oh, can I borrow that uh, that analogy about the tugboat?
2: Please. You sure can. <laughs> <laughs> I love
0: that. I really do. Because, you know, as I'm listening to you, the way my mind has shifted, I'm always trying to think, and I listen to keywords. And you said move, propel, go. Everything is going in a positive direction, it's not the negative thoughts, because I believe negativity makes a person stagnant and just stuck. Absolutely. But yes. I love how your, your words are literally moving forward. And that obviously helped lead to your extremely fast recovery. And I'm sure you do have a lot of people that's there to serve you. I mean, look how we connected mm-hmm. uh, through Sharon and through Lynn. And mm-hmm. we let everybody know. Bobby and I met about four or five years ago at um, David Manuel's. I am a father 5K, and David is also a liver uh, tra- uh, recipient. Yeah, mm-hmm. his transplant, and it didn't. Thank God that he is still here. Well, you know his story, mm-hmm. but to say all of that, even with David, look how he turns out with these races, and how people come to serve him because of that purpose Mm -hmm. so let's get back to because we're going to kind of start wrapping it up but I really want people to understand when someone signs that license and they said that they're a donor what because in my mind and we talked about this I always thought it was just the major organs you know the heart liver kidney but can you explain to everybody what you explained to me what one person can do
2: Yeah, one person has the ability to impact and enhance the lives of up to seventy-five people, and you look at that. You got, of course, you got your major organs. You got your heart, lung, liver, kidneys, pancreas, and small intestine that can be donated. But we haven't talked about tissue donation. Um, Tissue is life-enhancing; that it it extends your life and it helps correct some of these things that you may have. Like, for example, as a football player or an athlete you hear a lot of guys tearing their ligaments, their ACL, their knee, people can actually donate that. Um, And that's how the recovery process is a lot shorter than when I played football, when I played for about 18 months. Now it's about six months that you can be out and, and, and get back to activity. So you can donate ligaments, tendons, bone, skin. And skin, we all know for burn victims, you know, it's not that we take in all your skin, it's a small thin layer of skin that we help for burn victims. Uh, you know, you talk about your bones and and all those kind of things. And then of course you have your eyes that the cornea, we have a lot of folks who need cornea transplants. So one person, if they agree to donate all, they can en- enhance the lives up to 75 people.
0: That's amazing. You know, as a kid, I remember Jane Fonda's. What was her dad? Was it Henry Fonda? Is that his yes. name?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When he passed away, that's the first time I ever heard about donation as a little kid and he had donated his eyes Mm -hmm. that blew me away as a child look at this in full circle and look i'm talking about it now (laughs) at 28 years old (laughs) (laughs) wow that's a lot of people
2: yeah and, and you know, and even you know, if I you know, if I can just hit on this real quick. You know, especially when we look at our community the African African American community. Donation is vitally important. It's vitally important that we get involved in this whole donation process. A few quick statistics. Here in the state of Georgia, we have close to 5,000 people waiting for a life-saving organ transplant. African Americans make up 64% of that list here in the state of Georgia. And when we That number, that 64% numbers, 97% of the African Americans who are waiting are waiting for kidneys alone. Kidneys are the only organ that we do matching for. So, in most cases, it's best that your kidney comes from someone in your same ethnic background. So, when we don't donate, our people suffer on dialysis and they die, which is very alarming. And, and, And what causes a lot of kidney failure. High blood pressure, diabetes, obesity. We have to do better. We have to change our diet. We have to start exercising. We must pay attention to labels. We have to do these things, drink more water. We have to live healthier lifestyles so we can stop stop the number of people who are going to be placed on dialysis that ultimately need a kidney transplant. So we hear these things on a daily basis and, and about people eating healthier and all those things. Please hear me if you don't hear anything else take better care of yourself. If you have a diet that's high in fat, high in sodium, um, a lot of fried foods, change your diet. Please change your diet because that's what's hurting our community. And, and you know, we have to do that.
0: Right, any other statistics?
2: Well, um, on the positive side, you know, um, you know, I don't wanna take all the credit, but um, I lead a pretty good program at Lifelink as director of our multicultural program. And tell our, us
0: some more
2: about that. Our multicultural program is a program that's geared to the African American and Hispanic community. And um, I have a team that goes out to the community. Um, they spread the good word, the good news, they dispel a lot of the of myths and, and things out in the community. and we encourage people of color to register to become organ and tissue donors and But the positive thing is I gave you that that kind of gloom and doom side. The positive things that we do as African Americans we donate. Here in the state of Georgia, we make up about 33 or about a little over 30% of the overall population. Um, Right now, 38% of all of our donors come from the African-American community, which is the highest in the country. You know, for the past 13 out of the past 13 out of 15 years, we've been number one in the country with the number of African-American organ donors. I have a really good team. They do a wonderful job. You know, I can't take credit for something that I don't do. You know, as, as a director, I don't get out as much as I used to, and I do some different things, but my team does a wonderful job um, going out. We talk to churches, high schools, civic groups. You know, you provide us an opportunity. We're there. If you have a health fairs, we come to your health fairs. As you mentioned, David Manuel, we work with David on his 5K. Um, walk, um, walk, run, we have a table there. We help register people there. You know, we're all over the city. We're all over the state trying to spread the good news, the good news. On how donations can save lives, because you know, think about it, Ursula. If we sit by and apps and do absolutely nothing, zero lives will be saved.
0: Oh, that's deep. Simple but deep.
2: I can, I can be deep sometimes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look, we have a mutual friend. I'll have to ask her. But I'll take your word
2: for it now. Who's that? <laughs> our Who, mutual friend?
0: Sharon.
2: Oh, that's my buddy. That's my that's my buddy, Miss Sharon. I, you know, I've been knowing Sharon. You know, I tease people all the time. They always say, "Well, you always invite Sharon to your football stuff and all this stuff." I said because Sharon shows up. I have pet peeves. If I invite folks places and they say they come, they don't show up. I don't invite them no more. You okay. know, but Sharon, Sharon be showing up to my uh, Sharon. I got this. You come. Yep. Sharon show up she called me get all the details Sharon that's my buddy
0: so you mean people show up like you said you would show up to my spin class 10 years ago no I'm, just,
2: <laughs> I'm yes. joking no 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 I did tell you I was going to show up and see you should take my mode see don't invite me back <laughs> <laughs> I'm retired now, Bobby. <laughs> oh, but you, you just told me you can let go ride your bicycle.
0: I am. I definitely am going to go. Over. Oh, hold on one second. Tanya said, Can you talk about the stigma of organ donations and how can you encourage people of color? That's a great question, Tanya. Tanya oh, could be at event too. Tanya is friends with Sharon.
2: Okay. Okay. So you must get all the sharing friends on the call today. <laughs> okay. Um, some of the stigmas, well, I, I wouldn't say they're stigmas. They are, I'm going to use the word myths because they're not true and they're not factual. You know, a lot of folks think that if they register to be an organ donor, if they get into an accident, that health the healthcare professionals are not going to save their lives because they've registered to be an organ donor. Um, all healthcare professionals are here to save your life. That's their role and that's their job. And sometimes that doesn't happen. Only then is when we get involved. No healthcare professional is there to do anything different than than what they're supposed to do. And they take this oath that they're there to save your life. And um, one of the things we have is that okay, my religion um, is against organ and tissue donation. Not true. Most all major religions support organ, tissue, and eye donation. You know, I hear that a lot, you know, and I challenge people. I'm a little different than your average person. You know, let a pastor come and tell me it's against my mind. I'm telling them to prove it. I ask folks to prove it because I do know that we use religion. Nobody wants to uh, um, intercede or, or, or question somebody's faith. Um, I do, especially when it comes to organ donation because I know it's not true. You know, that's a way... to to get out of a lot of things. Um, And those are the two bigger ones. And the other one um, is that a lot of people, you know, think that um, I only want to donate if it's going to another African-American or if you're Caucasian, if it goes to Caucasian. One thing we can't do, we can't determine that. We can't say it's going to an African-American or X, Y, and Z. But on the statistics I just gave you, especially for kidneys, if you're African-American and donate a kidney, the the likelihood of them going to another African-American is very high. The other part of that is, is that you can be a, uh, have a directed donation. A direct what
0: does that mean? Donation.
2: That means that you can direct your donation to go to a certain person, not a group. So if Bobby Howard dies today, I can't say, I only want my uh, kidneys to go or my organs to go to other NFL players. But if it's Jim Smith and Jim Smith is on the list and Jim Smith is a match, he can have whatever he needs from Bobby Howard. If I know Jim, you know, if I can call Jim Smith's name out. So that's what we call direct it. You know, you can direct it to a person.
0: I did not know that at Yes, you all.
2: can. Yes. And think about it. You know, we have a lot of times people pass away. They have some of their family members on dialysis and they will ask us, hey, my auntie's on, his auntie's on dialysis and her auntie's on dialysis. Can she have it? You know, and if she's listed and there's a match, there's her kidney.
0: Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever talked to somebody, person of color, and they're just absolutely refused? Like, no, I'm not going to donate. I'm not signing it. But what was that one thing that you told them? And they said, you know what? Give me the pen. I'm signing over.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, when I first started life, when part of my job was to have that. Uh, I used to go into the hospitals and talk to the family when their loved ones had passed away. So that was part of my job, and I had a lot of families who would tell me no. And the thing that that thing that that I could say and share with them is that, you know, we have to look at things differently. Is that your loved one's life is over, but we have the opportunity today to extend their lives because they will live on in someone else. And you can always have that memory. The memory, the memory in your heart, you can never forget who that person was. You'll always have that in your heart. But now knowing that in, in their loss, they are still living on in someone else. And a lot of people, sometimes you don't visualize that and you say, oh, wow, that, that makes so much sense. They are still living on. They're not here with you, but look at the wonderful gift that this person has done. Look at the, the love gesture that your loved one has made because he has saved so many lives. And think about it. How many people can actually walk around and say that they know someone who saved someone's life?
0: I know. You know, speaking of David... Uh, he put out a video a couple years ago. You've probably seen it mm-hmm. when and Corinne went yes. Oh my God, I was crying. This was me the whole time
1: watching.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because the way so everybody who doesn't know, David, like I said, he had the liver transplant and he went to visit the mother of the young man who passed away. And David knocking the door, and when the mom opened the door, she's crying, and David's hugging her. That was so touching to me. And you're right; she saw her son live mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was in a black man, but he's still <laughs> he's still living on. He's mm-hmm. making his mark. That's amazing. And you
2: know, and you know, Ursula, I, I I truly believe that we're all given people. And sometimes we just don't have the correct information to make, a de- in, to make an informed decision. And I believe when we have the correct information, you know, we make positive decisions. Now, I would like to share, you know, I, and I hear this all the time, and I'm always sharing with folks is that we can't always believe what we find out on the internet to be true. You know, we always take a story that's not true, and we run that to the ground. Let's start spreading the good news.
1: Mm. The good
2: news life you know, the good news about how we are all blessed and how we are all fortunate just to be here. And for our our Christian and and, and religious folks out there who are listening, think about it. You know, if you are really struggling with donation, let me give you the straight point to why you shouldn't even be struggling today. You know, when you think about God and, and, and how we are here, God sacrificed his son for all of our sins so we could be here. So if you're a true Christian and you believe in God, then organ donation is not a problem for you, because that's truly what it is. It's a sacrifice of yourself when your life is over that you're extending life on to someone else. That's why we're here. And if you're a true believer, you would follow in that mode. But I do understand and know that we interpret things the way we want to interpret it. And But the true reality is that especially for women, think about it, you are here because God made a transplant. When God took the rib from Adam to create the most beautiful creature in the world, that's a form of donation. So it's already out there that it's okay. Where's my pen to sign? No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and for the record, I've been an organ donor. It's on my car and my license probably for 10, 12 years. You want to hear something funny?
2: Mm-hmm
0: when I actually signed it to get my license renewed it was right over there at the South Decatur precinct <laughs> and as soon as I got my license back and I saw it I instantly regretted it at that moment and I wanted to go back and tell them to take it off I was just I, my mind wasn't there I was misinformed and anyways I never got it changed and I had no I have no desire to but
2: and, and you know once again it's a good thing. Things happen for a reason. And as you said, the key word, you were misinformed at the time. When we know better, we do better. But so we have to seek out some things instead of everything can't come to us, but we can't wait for it to hit our family, become personal before we wanna get involved. Because we have to help those who are less fortunate. And I believe once again, we are all truly blessed. Some of us are not as blessed as others, but we're all truly blessed because we woke up this morning. So if you woke up this morning, you're blessed. And being blessed is that we have something to offer
0: yeah. to
2: someone else. We yeah. all have that to offer. And, and, and I know you're getting ready to close, but I'd like to end on this. Think about when you go to register to be an organ donor, you are preparing to give a gift. We're in in get ready to get into this holiday season. I know we're in a pandemic. It's going to be different this year. But we we plan for birthdays. We got to go out and buy all these gifts for everybody. All those things are material. So I want you to register because you are giving, getting ready to give somebody a gift. The only difference is you're never going to know who received that gift.
0: Mm. Bobby, tell people how they can register if they want to.
2: Sure. There's several ways you can register. You can um, When you go to renew or get a driver's license, you can go register um, there. Um, You can always go to the website, which is donatelifegeorgia.org. You can register there. Um, if you want someone to come out and speak to your group and, or some of my staff, you can give us a call at 770-225-5465. We can register. All of my staff has a, um, a phone app where we can just scan your driver's license and it goes right to the registry. Um, you can call our office and get a paper form. We can send you a paper form. You can register, send it back. We will upload that form and get it into the registry. Um, you can always go to, we have another website, is reg- registerme.org. If you have an iPhone, you can go to your help app and register on your iPhone um, to be, um, uh, it's on there to be an organ, eye and tissue donor. So those are the way that you could register to be an organ, eye and tissue donor.
0: That's amazing. And just to let everybody know, if you didn't catch everything he said, I'm going to put everything he said in the show notes. So that if you decide to register, you have no problem doing that whatsoever. Do you talk to any of your NFL, um, your peers about life? I am
2: am the current president of the Atlanta chapter of the former players. And one thing, you know, since I've been a part of the chapter, um, if I have something going on or want my guys to get involved, they support. You know, we have a couple guys now. Um, in our chapter, who are on dialysis and they need transplants, um, and so we—my my, guys—are are involved and interested um, in what we're doing with Lifeline, um, and also um, as president, you know, I'm involved with a lot of organizations. You had mentioned um, our common friend Miss Lynn. You know, I'm working with Lynn on on her Thank sneaker you. project, the Eco Sneakers, and we're going to do something together um, on December the fifth. We're doing something together on that day um we're collecting old sneakers and, and doing that um you know I'm just you know if it's something that I feel can help someone you know I try to get involved in the, you know and be a support and lending the talent of my NFL guys to be a part of it as well
0: I love it love it love it love it you know what This was very informative today. Like I said, um, one of the many reasons why I'm doing it is because it has hit me personally with the close family members. So that was also one of my motivations for becoming a donor because just to watch them go through what they're going through now, it's, it's a lot. It's truly a trickle down effect, but any parting words of wisdom? You've been dropping gems all day. <laughs> give, give the people one more, Bobby. Give them
2: well,
0: one more. I'll let you have the last word well,
2: I will I will just say that you know I am very thankful for these opportunities and thank and I thank you for giving this opportunity not only to talk about me, but to talk about life in general, and to talk about how we can extend lives of others. And, you know, you yourself out there may be in need of a transplant or something one day. So, you know, I always try to provide information that's helpful for everyone. But in parting, you know, I would just say that, you know, organ donation is here to stay. And don't think of it as about death, think about it as life donating life and giving life. We are extending life. And I am just so thankful once again to all the all of you who, who dialed in to listen in. And I hope that you have gotten something out of this. And, you know, in parting, I always say, and I said it earlier, if we sit by and do absolutely nothing, zero lives will be saved. Please register to be an organ and tissue donor because the life that you save today could be the life to save your loved one tomorrow.
0: And on that note, I am not gonna add anything else onto it. I love that what you just said. Bobby, thank you so much for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule and just being on board when I when you and I talked last week. You were just on it. And I believe this is why I do have my platform so that I can spread the word or whatever the topic is, it's always going to resonate with one person. So thank you so much. Do you mind staying on after we go Thank you. Good. Take care. All right, everyone. Thank you. Please tune in tonight at 7 p.m. We will have Derek Jones of Relationship Gumball. And we're going to talk about Billy. So stay tuned. Take care. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. If anything you heard today made your soul vibrate, please like, comment, and share this episode with two of your friends. Thank you, and I love
1: you all. This for the queens, sisters manifesting their dreams. Get your cream by any means and being with self-esteem supreme and Buddha walk so mean. The way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka. Redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Retwist your locks and realign your chakras. Doing your squats and getting closer to God, huh? Brunch it with your squad or taking a girls trip, Adjust your crown. You guys give to the world, sis. Celestial body, drink your water. Meditate, Sun kiss, God is heavenly order. Levitate, tribe of Ashanti, black girl magic, melanin popping. Whether you ratchet or lavish, whether you you bougie or savage? You a gift and a treasure. You got to love a black girl getting a shift together. Black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together. Man, these black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, dog.